My brother did it all himself. He was a carpenter, and he yeah. just he just started from the front end. Took five years. He just worked his way back. Um, repointed all the walls and everything. And uh, sure. it's it's tough to let it go. My husband and I are really interested in keeping the theater space and turning. Yeah, we it. had a good time. We hated the, the curtains are all electronic. Yeah. We have yeah. Um, things were doing well here, and it's just um, things went haywire. That was me talking to the brother of Joseph Grasso. Joseph Grasso, as you heard in episode one, was the owner of Grasso's Magic Theatre, and he was at this time embroiled quite deeply in legal difficulties, shall we say. Uh, But his brother, his very nice brother, met me when I was um, visiting the theatre with an engineer and my real estate agent, um, and... uh, gave me a little uh, insight into the theatre. Things were about to get a different kind of haywire for Matt and me, as you'll soon find out. Take a seat, you're in the bug house. Hey, welcome back. This week, uh, Matt and I are both kind of under the weather. Well, last week you were. I, I had a bit of a stuffed up uh, sinus situation last yeah. week. I think I'm mostly past that. but. And this week I am delirious with fever. So this is going to be fun. Um, I have my throat coat tea, uh, but I may be a little bit loopy or maybe a little bit boring. Who knows? Oh, that's that's fine. Okay, we'll try and get through this. Um <laughs> This episode, we want to cover some of the drudgery of um, of buying real estate. You wouldn't expect it to be so emotionally involving, um, but it turns out there's a lot of complications uh, that arise when you go down the path that we went down. Yeah, and and I feel like we've been through <laughs> we've been through journeys like this, which are mostly about. Um, how bureaucracy makes you terribly emotional um, before. (laughs) Most notably when I immigrated to America during the switch to the Department of Homeland Security uh, back in 2003. So that was a complete bureaucratic nightmare um, that had us like weeping constantly. It's one of those things that we went through and after we got through it, we're like, man, you know, no matter what, gets thrown at us we've been through immigration yeah how hard can it be yeah like nothing scares me anymore yeah. because uh because i managed to immigrate and survived so, <laughs> so confidence takes you weird places uh, as it turns out yeah last week we left off with uh the idea that we were going to try to buy this place um or go through the motions of trying to buy it with no actual expectation that we were going to buy it we were not in the market to buy any real estate we were just learning right it was kind of just practice yeah yeah i mean it's it's a it's a weird long-term thing that i i tend to do i'm i'm an over-researching buyer uh the last car we bought i probably looked at cars like it for three years on the internet before i pulled the trigger um (laughs) but that three years turned out uh to be worth it and so this was just the start of that same journey right um so, uh, first thing that we did was, let's see if we can qualify for a loan. Because like most people our age, or actually any age, uh, we just we didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars just lying around that we could throw at a property. Um, so, we started going to different banks, mm-hmm. seeing whether we were rich enough to qualify for a loan (laughs) sure you know in in previous situations we this is as it turns out spoiler alert this is our third house um we uh we've done this a couple times but not with something that's mixed use yeah 
I want to like explain this a little bit actually. So our first house was this little house out in the suburbs of Philadelphia that we bought for eighty six thousand dollars in two thousand six. So it was the height of the real estate bubble. This is probably the most the house could have possibly sold for. We were twenty six years old and we had pretty much zero credit to speak of. So we essentially got a predatory home loan. In order, two of them. Two of them in order to afford this property, but we have no kids and uh, we're pretty good at managing our money. And so even though I was a student and Matt's salary was, you know, he was starting out at a tech firm. Uh, <laughs> well, I did that after I bought the house. Yeah, that's Wait, right. <laughs> this, uh, you know, to, to give you an idea of uh, how risky we, we are, um, <laughs> we bought this house. Uh, we then went to Australia for a month. I quit my job. <laughs> And decided to look for new work after having bought the house. The new house being the impetus to make sure that I don't just slack off and get something that's just good enough. Right. But my thought was always um, a mortgage on an $86,000 house is less than rent. Right. So this is a good deal. Anyway, because we scrimped and saved so hard, we actually managed to pay off this house before the end of 10 years, I think. Mm -hmm. So so that was really good. then we, when we moved into Philadelphia, into the second house, which I mentioned in West Poplar, uh, we got that house for one sixty-five. Um, so these are like very low-key house prices for Philadelphia. But so this this new place, this was like a, a, a order of magnitude more risk and uh, uh, money involved. So when we started going to banks, the first bank we went to was, you know, our regular bank, Wells Fargo, and they took one look at us and kind of laughed us out the room and said, we we don't do loans like this. We- <laughs> nope, nope. They, Wells Fargo finances skyscrapers and they finance like a house. Very safe residential houses. Yeah. They, they don't do commercial homes that, uh, yeah, that are falling to pieces and need a ton of construction. Right. Um, so then we started going to other banks, uh, and they would each invite us into the room. Oh, it was it was this very common pattern. We said, we've got this idea. Um, there's this uh, venue that we want to live above, uh, and it's in this really great part of Philadelphia. And they're like, that sounds really great. Uh, I just don't have a product for you. Yeah. After the housing bubble burst, uh, regulations really came into play. Uh, they, they put the teeth back into... Um, you know, financing for good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just made it really difficult to do. To get a loan yeah. for regular sort of mom and pop operations to to be able to do something like this. The only people who were getting loans were already wealthy developers. Right. Um, so everyone was kind of turning us down. And this went on for months. I, I mean, a couple of months. I would just try every week or so to go to a new bank and see if anybody would play ball and nobody would. Finally, a real estate agent, well, not finally, as it turns out, but after a while, a real estate agent said, why don't you try for this fancy fucking loan called a 203k, I'm a little bitter about this, called a 203k FHA loan uh, through a a mortgage company who I will not name (laughs) for reasons that will become clear later. And uh, this is a really interesting loan. It's the kind of loan where you not only finance the purchase of the property, but you get construction money on top of that. Um, And it's sort of regulated by the government. It's like a special program that you Mm -hmm. have to qualify for. Um, And one of the stipulations of the loan is you have to have architectural plans for what you want to do with the property before you get the loan. So essentially, you have to have architectural plans before you've even bought the property that you want to build on. Yeah. So? So this sent us down the path of, all right, if this is what we need to do, let's let's figure it out. And uh, I, I took that upon myself um, since Melissa was doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting in terms of uh, chasing banks. I figured I'd reach out to architects. Um, Let me say, first of all, like, um, architects are really expensive (laughs) and they've always struck me as something that uh rich people have um and not (laughs) something that i personally would be engaging the services of so just the phrase my architect is a very (laughs) 
foreign phrase. It's almost as foreign to me as this phrase, my lawyer. Like, uh, I recently, you know, I have a lawyer now. I have an architect now. And these are very strange phrases to me. Um, but, yeah. but division of labor, I took banks, Matt takes architects. Yeah. So uh, as it turns out, uh, architects in 2014 were really hard to get a hold of in the Philadelphia area. Um, our real estate agent suggested uh, an architect slash engineer that she knew. Uh, we met him and, you know, uh, he didn't really quite get how things work in the big city. Um, he, he had some funny ideas and uh, I just wasn't real comfortable with how uh, his own office wasn't complete. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember we this. So much has happened. Okay. Like, and it, the the office was... Uh, like drywall wasn't finished and it had been unfinished for a long time. Oh boy. And so, you know, all right, that was a, an interesting first experience, but let me strike out on my own and strike out. I sure did. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I reached out to a number of different architects. We met with an architect, uh, actually nearby our neighborhood where we were, um, a, a sizable firm. Uh, and I, I was okay with the work that they did. And had a nice meeting in person. Uh, Melissa and I went and they drew like a simple drawing, had some basic ideas of what we could do with this. And then they just stopped responding to email. Um, so, yeah, I got the impression during this period that a lot of architects are flakes. Sorry, all the architects out there. But, um, you know, if you personally aren't a flake, perhaps you know that many of your <laughs> colleagues are flakes and are giving you a bad name. So. Yeah, this this is what's burned <laughs> into my head. Uh. Last week I trashed, trashed magicians. This week it's architects. Sorry, <laughs> architects. This is how it is. Okay. So uh, all of this actually really hastened um, because as we were going through this process, we learned that in uh, about a week from the, this point that we are in, in the timeline that the property was going up for sheriff sale. Yeah. Okay. So remember, I mentioned last week that they, the Grassos, had stopped paying the mortgage on the property, um, and there's only a certain a period of a few months, most usually about six months, that the bank will um, allow you to not pay your mortgage before the bank says, "Well, we're going to take this property. We're going to foreclose on this property." Um, and when that happens, I knew nothing about this until no. <laughs> until this whole adventure because. Because this was this is not this is something that I just you know I never had a reason to research. Um, when a bank forecloses on a on a property, what they actually do in Philadelphia is um, the Philadelphia sheriff seizes the property and then auctions it off in a sheriff's sale. Uh, and there's two things that can happen at the sheriff's sale: either someone can buy the property, and then whatever money. Um, the person pays, goes to the bank and settles the loan, or as often happens, the bank will buy the property themselves at the sheriff's sale uh, and then after the sheriff's sale, they'll put the property on the market and try to get more money for the property to to uh, finish off the debt, to yep. pay off the debt. Um, so th we were sort of, we didn't know what was going to happen at this sheriff's sale. We found out only like a week before it was happening. It all happened very quickly. It was very, very quick. We, fo we found out and um, from our real estate agent, she said, oh my God, it's on the docket for a sheriff's sale uh, October 7th. Um, and this, this could have been, you know, it, it was kind of a mixed bag. You, you especially, you know, post-recession, uh, post the, the thing was you don't buy a house in foreclosure because there's so much trouble that comes with that. Right. On the other hand, we knew that this meant that we could potentially get a bargain on this property. Right, that's the possibility. And we already knew that this property was a ton of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> there um, were tubs of water from the leaking <laughs> roof all over the first floor. So, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I know Melissa did uh, a really great post on Reddit and got a bunch of feedback about what you really want to have uh, prepared when you go into this sort of thing. I learned so many new terms from, <sighs> that, from that post. I said, I, what do I do? How do I buy a property? And uh, there are a ton of people on the Philadelphia Reddit, thank you so much, all of those people, who said, you need to know what the upset price is from the bank, from the foreclosing bank. And I'm like, what the fuck is an upset price? It's like, this is a number that the bank will will give or have in their mind as the uh, lowest amount they will allow the house to sell for. Basically, it pays for the loan. Right. 
Um, uh, um, and the bank won't let the house sell for less than that amount. They will just buy it. Um, so my next move was to email the bank and ask them what the upset price was to see if there was any chance that we could buy it at the sheriff's auction. In parallel, I'm still reaching out to architects, and uh, it turns out um, just down the street from the office that I work in is an architecture firm run by a fellow who was actually building or planning on building uh, on the property next to this theater. So I thought, you know what? Everybody else uh, that I've talked to has flaked out. What's the worst that could happen here? This guy will at least be invested because he's nearby uh, in, in both senses of the term. Um, he's, I, I could just walk to his office and his future home is uh, going to be next to this building that we're looking at. Right. So He's going to have to look out his window at our building. So if we hire him to be the architect for our building, he might make it pretty. <laughs> uh, and reaching out to him, he was the first architect that started talking to me um, using words that I didn't just come up with on the internet. Uh, he knew things about buying at a sheriff's sale. He understood the kinds of documents that we were going to have to have prepared if we wanted to move forward with this. Uh, and he replied to at least two emails. So Wow! Yeah. What, what an amazing businessman. So this, this mixed bag of like, oh man, it's, it's going to sheriff's sale. But wait, it's going to sheriff's sale. And ah, oh, you know, I can't get any architects to talk to me. But wait, this, this guy is. So, um, all right, things are moving forward. So the bank um, does, gets back to me uh, like two days before the sheriff's sale and says, we don't have an upset price decided yet. We're still working what, out what that figure is. And I'm thinking, this is crazy, because uh, if I find out that the upset price is low enough that maybe we could try to buy the house, I'm going to need to figure out how to get that money immediately. One of the things about a sheriff's sale is if you buy at a sheriff's sale, you have to give them cash or a cashier's check on the spot. Um, otherwise, the sale is void. So I'm like, you're not giving me enough time to prepare for this. Uh, I think one of the things I did at the time, I was totally obsessed with this with this whole endeavor by this point. I looked at the law firm that was representing the bank. <laughs> uh, and I basically memorized the headshots of all of the lawyers at this law firm so I could recognize them if I saw them because I thought at the sheriff's sale, I'm going to see one of these lawyers and I want to know who to look at. Um, so I know you know, who's going to be bidding against me if I end up bidding. Uh, so it comes uh, up to the day of the sheriff's sale. Sidebar here, on the day of the sale, the FHA uh, mortgage broker that we had been talking to about this fancy 203k loan uh, emailed me and said, um, freelancer 1099 income, which is my entire income, cannot be factored in for borrowing purposes on an FHA mortgage. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so I'm like... He, he also mentioned that uh, it doesn't matter that it's a sheriff sale, um, that uh, the, if, if we do get this, we can work that into this 203K. Okay, so this is sort of just edge of your seat anxiety. Like, I still, I have no clue if this is possible or not. Um, we get a bunch of cashier's checks from our bank. Essentially, we like zero out the money in our bank just in case the house goes for as much money as we have mm -hmm. in our bank. Um, and we go to the sheriff's sale, um, working on the assumption that, that maybe the price will drop and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Here. As our car approaches the building where the sheriff's sale is being held, I'm in the passenger seat and Matt's in the driver's seat and I look out the window and I see a man walking with a briefcase toward the building and I recognize him. He's one of the lawyers at the firm that represents the bank that's foreclosing on this property. So I say, Matt, pull over, pull over. And I get out of the car and like a complete crazy person i run up to this man and i i can't remember his name but let's just say it's john and i'm like are you john <laughs> and he looks at me like who is this person he's uh yes i'm like 103 callow hill street what's the upset price <laughs> 
he's fumbling. He's fumbling with his papers, and I'm saying, "Look, I really need to know what is the upset price on this on on this property. You, you please just tell me. I'm going to find out in the room anyway. But please just tell me." So he he looks down and he tells me the upset price is two hundred eighty thousand um, well. dollars, which yeah, which is already more money than certainly we had in the bank. <laughs> More money than we could possibly afford to pay at the sheriff's sale. And I would also add that if you were to buy the house at a sheriff's sale, remember that $42,000 property tax bill that they owed? You would have to pay that on top of the $280,000. So you would be paying like $320,000-ish more more than $320,000 to buy the house that day at the sheriff's sale. And we turned around and drove right back to the bank and put all our cashier's checks back into our bank accounts. And, and thought our ride was over. Yeah, we oh, kind of there thought it goes. that was it. Then our real estate agent called and said, don't worry, I've heard a rumor. The bank is planning to relist the property uh, very shortly and uh, then we'll just be back to square one where we were when we started this business and we'll see what they relist the property for at that time. So... As it turns out, not long after having purchased it, the bank does relist the property. Actually, with the same real estate agent. As uh, before. As before. They relisted it for 350 Which sounded about right, given what they had to put down at the auction and uh, what they had to pay in liens and back taxes. Right. At this time, we decided that we would continue the process with the architect. Uh, and the FHA loan and see how far we could get. But this was a big decision for us because architects, as I mentioned, are stupendously expensive. And the first step of this process is creating a plan for uh, building, and that's the most expensive part. So we were going to have to pay an architect at least a few thousand dollars to come up with a plan so that we could get this FHA loan. Yeah, so we, you know, had a long talk about it, had a good think, um, decided, you know, we've we've made some expensive mistakes in the past. Right. Over stupider things than this. We don't gamble. Um, yeah. You know, we don't go to Vegas. We don't put money on the lottery. We, um, we don't have children. <laughs> we... <laughs> so, like, you know, if, if we blow a couple grand on something like this... That's that's our mistake for a few years. Right. That, that's something, you know. I guess we won't go on vacation for a while, but that's, a, you know, this, right. this, is, this has become a bit of an obsession. Yeah. Let's see what happens. So uh, on Halloween, we came back to the property and with our new architect, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Our architect, Stephen, <laughs> dripping with money as we were at the time. We were not. Um one of the things that we discovered that Halloween day when we visited the property was that the Grassos had actually come back and unfortunately and so sadly, they had basically ransacked the property and taken away all of the stuff that we mentioned in the previous episode. So light fixtures, the curtain, the lion face knockers. The mummy mannequin. <laughs> the mummy mannequin was gone. Oh. Uh, the uh, fart perfume was still oh, they there. did keep the yeah. We did get to keep the fat perfume, <laughs> and I believe the misogynist talking doll. The talking doll, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, a lot of the charm ha- had been ripped out. Even though I can't possibly think of a reason why the curtain that was specially cut for the theater needed to go. Uh, the downside is what we kind of envisioned as potentially a turnkey operation for a venue. You know, maybe if we get this done quickly, we could open it up for the fringe. That was gone. That was Mm -hmm. totally gone. Totally. Uh, On the upside, uh, boy, does that give us a great bargaining chip. Yeah. I mean, now the place was extra trashed as well. (laughs) It was extra, extra trashed. And, uh, And it was starting to get cold. And uh, the water was still coming in uh, through the roof very regularly. Um, and it was a, it was going to be a very difficult property for the bank to sell. And banks don't like holding property. Yeah. So here's what happened. Uh, we was we as we were working on these plans with this architect in November, the bank dropped the price. 
to three hundred thousand dollars. Uh oh. <laughs> we heard about this. This was this is the lowest that this price this uh, building has ever been listed at in recent years. Um, so at this point, I'm I know that people haven't seen the property yet, but it's dropping to a level where I think it's going to get noticed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and we've already we've as I've said we've paid an architect a few thousand dollars now, so we're kind of invested. Um, maybe maybe we should make an offer for the first time. You know, we got nothing to lose. Let's just right. completely lowball it. Let's just see what happens. They they really it's November. It's late November now. They they probably want to get rid of it before the winter, or at least have a, an agreement of sale in. Let's try. So, November twenty fourth. We offer the bank $240,000 <laughs> to buy this house. $60,000 under asking. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. The, <laughs> the house that we had bought before, uh, that we were living at the time, was owned by a family who was... They, they were trying to move out to the suburbs. They uh, had some children that were growing up and wanted to get them, you know, better schooling, a, a, a more comfortable environment. And when you're buying a house from a family... Anytime you buy a, a house or whatever, you're you're going to do some level of negotiation. But if you're buying from a family, you don't right. want to get blood from a stone. Yeah, like, don't you be feel, a jerk. You, yeah, you, exactly. You kind of you feel compassion for the people, and you know you you're not going to try to squeeze every penny out of this nice family. You know who I don't have compassion for, though. Who? Child molesters and banks. Mm, you're right. Let's just lowball the fuck out of it. <laughs> I don't care. Okay, so so we gave them some time to mull over our totally ridiculous offer of $240,000. While we, uh, the bank was mulling it over, the um, mortgage company that we were applying for this 203k FHA loan through gave us a pre-qualification. Um, so uh, it, it's sort of edging towards a possibility that, that, they, that we would qualify for the right amount for the house plus construction. December 2nd, the foreclosing bank gave us a counteroffer of $280,000, the original upset price from the sheriff's auction. So I told our agent, two forty-five. dollars <laughs> um, I, I was just playing hardball. Uh, I, I've got nowhere. I, again, we're, we're not going to buy this building. It's not going to happen. It's fine. It's fine. So she, uh, she calls me back. She's sort of laughing yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she calls back and tells us that the bank uh, won't go any lower than two sixty five. They would rather develop it themselves uh, than sell it for less than two hundred sixty five thousand dollars. But two hundred sixty five thousand dollars is a pretty incredible price. We're like we could we could probably qualify for a loan for two sixty five. We might actually accidentally do this right so we put in the offer for 265 and not really expecting anything to happen and to our shock it's accepted <laughs> whoops <laughs> <laughs> and we sign an agreement of sale with the closing date 60 days in the future february 10th uh 2015 oh my god <laughs> <laughs> We just signed a contract to buy a building. We paid more money. Like when you do an agreement of sale, you put down You cash. put down uh, like a couple thousand dollars. Um, and now let's figure this out. This is getting more real. Right. A little later on that December, we got an inspector to come to the house. And this was a special inspector. He specialized in the FHA 203K loan process. Um... So we had to pay this inspector $1,000 to come to the house. <laughs> this is more money that we're putting on the table, more bets that we're, that we're, um, uh, we're out of pocket for. Um, but he suggested that we ask the bank for a seller's assist, which is an amount of money you ask because there's something wrong with the property and you'll need to fix it after you buy the property. It's just a common negotiating tactic. It's one of these things you learn about as you buy real estate. Right. What's hilarious is like everything was wrong with this property. Everything was wrong with this property. <laughs> he was like, 
the bricks look really old. He had no idea. Um, <laughs> so no idea. Kind of just because we had nothing to lose and because this inspector, we paid $1,000 to this inspector and we were hoping to get some of our money back. Uh, the, the inspector agreed to write a letter saying that um, asking the seller for $6,000 to fix the bricks uh, in the rear wall. And since we had absolutely nothing to lose, um, we we did that. We made a request for a $6,000 seller's assist and we did not receive a response. I know I've been going on about this FHA loan thing a lot, um, but that's because it caused us so many headaches throughout this part of the process. Um, this is going to be, I'm going to give you a real quick primer on one of the things, um, one of the requirements of the FHA loan. I'm sorry if it's sort of boring, but this was like one of the things I was tearing my hair out about. Um, FHA loans require that uh, the plans for the construction that you're going to be doing on the property that you're going to buy be for a building that is 51%, at least 51% residential and 49% or less commercial. This posed an interesting issue with the building that we were looking at because uh, the building actually unusually takes up the entire lot um, meaning there is no backyard, there is no front yard. It's 100% building. It was a big warehouse at one point, so it just the walls are on the property line. And in fact, this was one of the things we really liked about this idea of it as a venue. Um, it was mostly surrounded by vacant lots, and new construction can only really go back 70% uh, in, in terms of how much of the building can take up the lot. Right, you're not allowed to do 100% lot coverage uh, construction anymore. The city put a kibosh on it. Right. So as this neighborhood develops, it we, we actually have some padding in terms of not having walls touching walls. Which uh, is great for a venue because it means fewer noise complaints. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get above 51% uh, residential space um, means that you can't just build one, a one-story apartment on top of the venue and be done with it. You have to go at least two stories above the venue. Uh, otherwise, you won't make the uh, the commercial space less than 49% of the property. So as a result, uh, the architect that we're working with, being used to building luxury apartments, mm -hmm. uh, had designed this two-story, four-bedroom, 2,200-square-foot monster um, of an apartment, which... Is just, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I, I mean, if this is what we have to do, it's what we do. Uh, but also, we're trying to go in and, and like get a bargain here. Mm -hmm. Our estimated construction costs were ballooning yeah. at this point. Um, and we kept just sort of pinching ourselves and going, this is a really big apartment. This is way too much apartment for what we need. Plus, we were paying our architect so much money for these plans. I mean, there was a period of months where every single paycheck Matt got, the vast bulk of it was signed over to the architect. Yeah. And we were eating into our credit cards. And, you know, I was using the small income that I had from teaching at the time while I was being a grad student to, to pay our electricity bills. And we were just not saving anything. No. Oh, <laughs> it was a horrible period. Um, it was a lot of hell. Um, everything sucked. And then... <laughs> The it it got it got even worse. It reached like a nadir of suck, like the absolute pinnacle of suck, on January 14, 2015. So we are at this point. What's that? About uh, 35, 40 days into the 60 day uh, a period between mm -hmm. signing agreement of sale and the closing date, which was February the 10th. Um, we get a very uh, <laughs> depressed sounding call from our real estate agent. She's called us because the mortgage broker that we had been dealing with was too chicken shit to call us first and had actually called our real estate agent to ask her to break the news to us. Here's what we learned. So because the bank that bought the property at the sheriff's sale... The foreclosing bank... 
a foreclosing bank was not FDIC insured because essentially they're a group of people who are investing. They're an investment bank. They're not a savings bank. Right. They're not a Wells Fargo or PNC or whatever. This triggered uh, a rule in anti-flip legislation in Philadelphia um, that ultimately meant that no one could get a mortgage on the property for six months. Right. So it had only been, what, three months Mm -hmm. or so since the property had been sold at a sheriff's sale and uh, you couldn't get... So we wouldn't have been able to get any kind of mortgage unless the closing date was pushed back another three, four months into the future. So it transpired that not only was that a huge problem, uh, the way that we were building this in in plans, uh, the thousands of dollars that we spent making is three-story, four-bedroom mega mansion actually didn't work at all with the FHA loan. Having added the third floor changed the math. Uh, It was essentially impossible in every single way for us to qualify for this loan that we had spent uh, at least $1,000 with the bank, uh, several thousand dollars with the architect. Uh, Everybody was just kind of failing us. Yeah, so, you know, sort of a way to to tell the math was um, if a building was... Uh, two-storied, then at least 51% had to be residential. If the building was three stories, then at least 67% had to be residential. So because our first floor, we wanted the whole first floor to be commercial, and because it was 100% lot coverage, there literally was no configuration. Nope. None. Um, So everything with our loan had fallen through. Before our real estate agent called us, she had actually called the selling real estate agent and asked if she thought that the bank would be amenable to pushing the closing date a few months into the future. The selling real estate agent said that the bank had become completely unresponsive, non-responsive to any inquiries, even from their own agent. They were not returning calls. Total radio silence. Absolutely. Um, And... We heard through the grapevine that the board of the bank was actually upset that they decided to sell. For that low. For, for yeah. Um, what ended up happening is that when we asked for this seller's assist, the president of this little bank came out uh, and the way that this neighborhood was at the time that we were going through this process... Uh, Callow Hill Street, which it's on, was one way. Um, the It was just kind of hard to get to. It was almost like a quiet cul-de-sac. Uh, and when you drive there, you got to do this sort of roundabout way to get there, and you come up over a hill. And at the top of the hill is this building. Uh, at the bottom of the hill is the Delaware River. Behind it, brand new apartment complex. Uh, on the other side of the block, there's a mid-rise uh, going up. Um so what had just been a number on paper that they were like, yeah, whatever, let's sell it, turned out to be in a really good spot. And they did not want to sell. And they weren't really sure how to get out of that because we had executed a contract. An agreement of sale. So we were going to buy it, but they were going to do nothing to help us mm-hmm. buy this property because as far as they were concerned, they would love it if the whole deal fell through and they could make money being real estate developers with this property instead. Oh, yeah. If I was on the board, I'd probably react the same way. As our real estate agent explained to us on that very subdued phone call that morning, um, where our heart was literally on the floor and I was about to cry. Um, the only way that we would be able to buy this property is if we came up with $265,000 in cash, cash by February the 10th. This was January the 14th. <laughs> $265,000 in cash. And, you know, I remember we looked at each other and we thought about all of the money that we had spent in the last few months, all of the time that we had put in, all of the excitement, all of the paperwork, all all of the effort and the emotional effort. And we decided to go for broke. Let's do it. Let's 
Let challenge accepted. Challenge accepted, bitches. Yeah, you think I? We signed a this? contract. Yeah, you can't back out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Going to figure out if if there's one thing that makes me happy, it's knowing that we've upset a bank. Yeah, and I want to follow through. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. I'm gonna get. I'm. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Hang up the phone. Hang up the phone. Let's see what we can do. So we pulled out, you know, large sheets of paper, and we started doing a ton of math. Uh, if we cashed out investment accounts that were meant for our retirement. If we, you know, uh, applied for a new line of credit uh, at Wells Fargo Bank, not attached to property, just a new line of credit. If we sold the house that we were currently in to a friend of ours so that we could have cash. If we begged money from my rich uncles in Hong Kong. Maybe we could borrow some money from them. Maybe, you know, how many ways could we could we come up with cash on the table? And it, it sounds very risky. Uh, just to put it out there, don't ever drain your retirement account. That's such a bad idea. It's a terrible idea, but where it was a, a known risk, a, 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 a balanced risk, is I knew that if we bought this for $265,000 and we just marketed it, we could sell it for more. But that's not what we wanted to do. It's not what we wanted to do. Um, I remember looking at you and just saying, listen, you know, I'm 34, you're 35. We don't have kids. I know I've said that like seven times this episode, but uh, if we had kids, none of this would have happened at all because we would never have taken these kinds of financial risks. (laughs) We're not that irresponsible. <laughs> well, we know exactly how irresponsible we are, and that's helpful. Um, so if we zeroed out, if we lost everything, um, and, you know, we're young enough that we could start from scratch and still maybe be able to retire one day, it's, it won't be the end of the world. Yeah. You know, um, it was our last big hurrah. Right, this is it. I wouldn't say I would not recommend doing this past your mid thirties, but right on the line we are here at, at right now. We can bet the whole farm, and if we lose it, we can save up and maybe have another farm one day. Right. Um, let's give it a go. Um, oh, I should mention one other way that we got money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I went on a game show. <laughs> So uh, we were we were getting our, our, our veggies uh, through a CSA, uh, who happened to also be a casting director. Yeah, they're um, they're friends of mine and they're casting agents. And uh, they said to me one day as I was getting my vegetables, "Hey, Melissa, you want to be on a game show?" And I was like. Uh, no, that sounds really cheesy. I don't watch game shows and I don't enjoy them. And I think that's a great uh, opportunity to look like an idiot in public, which is not something that appeals to me, although I'm doing this podcast, so who knows? Um, and they and I said, well, you know, how much money can I win? <laughs> and they said, oh, no, you can actually win a fair amount of money if you want, if you if you happen to win. Uh, so I was on an episode of the game show Let's Ask America with Bill Bellamy. It's a Skype-in game show, um, so you don't even have to leave your house or put on pants if you don't want to. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I competed um, against two lovely contestants. One of them was a magician, which was a little bit strange <laughs> and made me think that I was in some kind of vast, you know, Truman Show-like uh, conspiracy. Um, and I won. I won $7,000. And when the host, when Bill Bellamy asked me what I was going to spend the money on, I told him structural engineers. <laughs> so We decided to push forward with this utterly batshit plan to zero out every dollar we had and buy this place in cash. I will I will tell you I like the one sort of um professional that I do have is a financial advisor and uh <laughs> he was tugging on the reins the whole way saying this is please don't put all your eggs in one basket but we said no look we're going to this is this is our this is our moment of craziness. Let's try it. Um February came 
and uh, we inched closer to closing. And I tell you, because of everything we'd experienced, every day I expected something to fall through. There were all these liens that weren't being cleared. The the gas bills that had gone unpaid uh, were still on the title. Um, there was just it was just a an unclean title, and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> the uh, the the tax lien, the forty two thousand dollars owing, um, the bank assured us that they had paid it, but the rec the city records say that it hadn't been paid, and it was up to us to ascertain that it had been paid. Otherwise, when we bought it, we would be liable to pay it. Uh, thankfully, our real estate agent Jean was incredible. Um, she said it's going to be taken care of, and it was taken care of. Yeah, which is amazing because two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars is not a huge commission for her. No. Um, so, but but she really uh, went to bat for us and spent a lot of time helping us out and making it happen. I think at this point she was probably just as invested in making this happen as we were. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it became kind of a game. It was like let's make this happen. It's uh it's pretty exciting. The day before closing. Um, our insurance company, State Farm, uh, came to the property <laughs> and told us, get the fuck out of here. There is like no way we are ever going to insure a property in this bad state. <laughs> uh, for all of you out there looking at uh, risky property to purchase, it turns out if you have a leaky roof, nobody will insure your nobody. property. <laughs> So we were going to pay two hundred every dollar we had. I think we had seven dollars in the bank. Um, <laughs> by uh, we had like two hundred sixty-five thousand and seven dollars uh, in the bank that morning um, for a property that we couldn't insure. Um, that had a leaky roof, um, and as we discovered at the final walkthrough, the day of closing, um, all of the water that had come through that leaky roof had frozen because now we're in the dead of winter in Philadelphia. So now the drywall is covered with sheets of ice. The tile is an ice skating rink. It was like an ice skating rink in the kitchen. The tubs of water were now tubs of ice. It <laughs> there was split plumbing. There was, you know, the plumbing had been turned off because it had like started to leak in places. The the flooding had gotten so bad that it had come through the floor of the apartment above the lobby and completely soaked the lobby of the theater as well. So the lobby of the theater was now totally wet. Uh, as we would find out later, uh, even the water meter cracked. <laughs> Uh, because it was they, they they just stopped paying attention to the property, and this is what we were going to buy. So we. <laughs> I want that one. <laughs> this sounds great. So we show up to uh, to the closing of this um, of this agreement of sale. It was held at uh, at a, a house on the main line out in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Our real estate agent set it up, um, and uh, there we met. Um, the incredible head of uh, the bank, the foreclosing bank. He was like like a central casting bank manager um, kind of dude. Yeah, he, uh, he was from Texas, still had a slight Texas lilt. Um, he, he was tall, right? He was super tall. He super was, tall. Yeah. He had the kind of suit that was shabby enough that you knew he was so rich it didn't matter. He kind of seemed to me like one of the rich people out of the Beverly Hillbillies. Like, you know, not the hillbillies themselves, but right. like one of the, you know, rich oil people out of that show. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly kind man, as it actually turned out. Um, the, the bank to us was just this faceless entity before. Right, up until this point. And remember back the previous year, we had asked for this seller's assist of $6,000 not knowing whether it would happen or not. Um, and we had assumed that they would not give it to us because the bank had gone radio, radio silent and really wanted this deal to fail. Well, it turned out they uh, they gave us half that. 3000 bucks, which was such a relief because we had $7 <laughs> in the bank and they handed us a check for $3,000 uh, at closing. And, uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I kind God. of felt like, given all of the pushback that we had, it it, it it almost felt like he was saying, good job, kids. Yeah, he got really <laughs> paternal with us. Yeah. Um, he, he sort of seemed to, um, I don't know if he like 
seem to support our entrepreneurial spirit or something. Um, yeah, it was really neat. <laughs> or, or we had Stockholm syndrome and we were just like crazy <laughs> abused people at this point who who was would turn to any smiling face in the storm <laughs> and and I'm mixing all my metaphors here, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and that was it. It was it. We signed and signed and signed and signed. And they handed it over to us, and it was ours. We had no money, but we owned a theater. We owned a goddamn theater. I- <laughs> I'm just remembering that day. It was so... It, it was... Uh, I... We, we, what, what did we have to do right afterwards? Right? That was a busy day. It was a super busy day. I'm pretty sure I had to play in... I was I was playing violin in a production of The Cherry Orchard at the time. <laughs> right. So I think I had to, like, immediately after closing, I had to go to call time sped and off. be in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dropped you off. You had to go perform. Picked you up. We came home. I did not sleep a wink. No, we, were, we actually went straight to the theater, I think. And just kind of sat in the icy, cold, <laughs> wet rooms and just looked at it. And, you know, we're just blown away by the fact that this we 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 embarked on this thing, <laughs> on this ridiculous venture. <laughs> uh, part of the reason I didn't sleep, I just had it in my head that, like thugs were going to burn it down at night. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I was like, there's there's no reason they, they would do this. I remember like, this paranoia that you had. It was a totally irrational fear. <laughs> I was like, we got one over in the bank and they're going to fucking kill us. Like, they're, they're going to show us you don't get one over such and such bank. They're right. just going to burn it down and we don't have insurance. So right. we're going to be left with Pedophile like... Pedophile magicians are going to come and burn the house down like you'd wake up in a sweat. I literally... And I didn't... didn't sleep like I literally I couldn't I just laid awake in bed um, which is doesn't happen very often it happened when I first saw the building and it happened when I first owned the building look I'm just saying like if you molest children arson is really not such a big step (laughs) um Uh, but nobody burned it down nobody was still there yeah and uh and then we um, were about to embark on the next stage of our adventure, which was um, construction. Yeah. Coming up in the next episode of The Bog House, tarps are a terrible substitute for a roof, an architectural brainwave, getting a construction loan, Russians flush with cash, demolition, dirty Polaroids, and the most incredible discovery of all. You can find out more about The Bog House at boghouse.thehanna.org. The Bog House is recorded at the Hannah Callowhill stage in Philadelphia. Our theme music is by Up Your Cherry. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review if you like what you hear. 